Hello. We at the South Edmonton Church of Christ have been going through a sermon series for the past several weeks about the signs of John's gospel. The Gospel of John records several different signs, and this morning we got to the very last one that he records. And that's found in John chapter 21. And so if you kind of want to read that and, and get caught up to speed, then that could be a good idea. But what we're going to do in this video is we're going to take a look at actually the first time that Jesus did a miracle like that. Because in John 21, they have a miraculous catch. They catch more fish than what they really should have. Well, that wasn't the first time that that type of miracle had been done by Jesus. At the very beginning of his ministry, whenever he was calling his apostles, he called them and they had a miracle of a miraculous catch. So in this video, we're going to take a look at that one in Luke chapter 5. We're also going to look at Isaiah chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 12. So let's begin with Luke 5. Luke 5, beginning in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught people uh, from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out it in deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you have said so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So with that, we see this story that Jesus calls his, some of his first disciples here in this occasion. And yes, it is surrounding this miraculous catch of fish, but even more important than that, it's a call not to fish for fish any longer, but to fish for people, to fish for, for man's souls, to be able to, to catch them and draw them in and bring them into the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus was calling them to. Well, Peter recognized the weight of this calling. He recognized it because one of his first responses was, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He says that in verse 8 here. He recognized his own sinfulness. And sometimes whenever we are at the decision as to whether or not we are going to follow God, whether or not we are going to be faithful to God, sometimes we recognize our own sinfulness. But what do we do about that? Do we continue on or do we let our own problems, our own shortcomings Keep us away. Well, that's entirely up to us. I want us to look at how some other people in the scriptures uh, have reacted. For instance, Isaiah. Now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6 and take a look at how he responds. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. 
With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. That's how Isaiah responded. Isaiah sees this wonderful vision and he knows the instant that he gets uh, transported into this room here that he's not really supposed to be here. He's unclean. He recognizes he's unclean. He recognizes the people who are around him, the people he live among, they are unclean as well. His response is very similar to Peter. I think sometimes we need to take notice of these things. We need to take notice that when people are called by God, Sometimes they don't always just jump into it immediately, but they recognize, look, okay, am I, am I ready for this? Well, if God tells us that we are ready, and if he's calling us, then we are ready. But what do we do about that call? Peter, he responded positively. Isaiah, he responded positively, which, by the way, we're not going to look at the rest of this chapter, but if you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 6 and keep reading the rest of the chapter, the task that Isaiah was given was not one that was going to be pleasant. He knew it, but he still volunteered for it. I mean, look at what the text says again. He says, here am I, send me. That was the the mentality that he had. That's what he wanted to 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 serve God with so much that he was willing to do whatever God asked. It wasn't going to be great, but he was going to be faithful no matter what. And there's one final passage that I want us to look at. This passage is is found in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, what we see is this, this image of God on Mount Sinai. If you remember from the Old Testament how that was whenever they saw God, they they kind of responded similar to here in Isaiah 6. But let's turn there to Hebrews 12 and take a look at it together. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's begin in verse 18. The Hebrew writer, he says this, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. What type of a sight would that have been? I mean, look it up in, in the book of Exodus and you will see this, this occasion and you will see how Moses responded. But I mean, Moses, this man who he has seen so much up to this point in his life, whenever he's faced with this sight, he says, I'm trembling with fear. He recognizes the, the weight of what's happening. But you know, the whole point of what the Hebrew writer is saying is, for us as Christians, this isn't the type of place that we have come to. We've not come to a mountain in which the Lord's presence is on it and we just we have to be so 
so cautious about it that even if an animal touches it, then they need to be stoned. That's not the type of situation. That's not the type of relationship that we as Christians have with the Father. Now, that was a very important time in history. And that a lot of things happened around that time. But yet, there is a different mountain. The mountain that the Hebrew writer will continue now with and he will talk about. And that is Mount Zion. That's the mountain that we as Christians can approach God. So what does that look like? Well, it doesn't look like this mountain. It looks very different. Let's continue though, because the next few verses will tell us about that mountain. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, this mountain that he describes, this image that he describes, this this whole scene that the Hebrew writer describes, this is what we have come to, we as Christians. We've not come to Mount Sinai whenever God gave the law to Moses. And they, they had to, to make very special precautions about how to approach God and, and how that was going to happen. That is not the mountain that we've come to. We have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is different. I mean, look at all of these images that are used here. He says that we've come to Mount Zion. We've come to this living God. We've come to this heavenly Jerusalem. We've come in the midst of an assembly, a joyful assembly of angels. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but it had to be a beautiful assembly that that he's describing right there. It has to be a beautiful assembly that he describes right there. This is the image that we've come into. This is the, the assembly that we've come into. In verse 23, he talks about it as the church of the firstborn, talking about the church that Jesus Christ died for. Also, we have come to God. We've come to Jesus. And we've come to those things that, that, that they have done for us, what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, this blood that he gave on our behalf. These are the images that are described. This is what it means for a Christian to come to God. This is what it means for us on Mount Zion, so to speak. There's more. Let's keep reading, though, because the Hebrew writer continues on and and tells us a, a, a contrast between these two. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe For our God is a consuming fire. This is the contrast. This is what the Hebrew writer says. 
God, as we can address him, it's different. It's not like that mountain in the Old Testament. No, this is Mount Zion. This is a different mountain that we've come to. Things are different. Things have been different through Jesus Christ. Whenever Jesus offered up his, his blood, that sprinkled blood, it speaks better than what the blood of Abel did. It speaks better than the blood of, that, that has been shed in times past. In fact, you don't have to go back too many chapters in the book of Hebrews and you, you see about this precious blood that Jesus gave. It's not like that of, of animals. No, it's the, the blood of the only Son of God, a special Son of God. And whenever we look here and we see this image and that Hebrews that, that he's telling us, verse 28, we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. We don't need to, to worry about these things that have been created and that can you know, possibly be destroyed. No, no, no. This kingdom that we have been asked to be a part of, this that God is inviting us to be a part of, it's not something that we have to, to worry about. It's not going to be shaken. It's going to stand firm. And because of that fact, we can be thankful. Because of that fact, we can worship God with reverence. We can worship Him with awe. We can recognize how holy He is, how great He is. And we can also recognize that he has done something to allow us to stand in his presence. And if you want to know exactly what that is, that's Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross allows us to be able to come before this God that they were uh, distant from, if you will, on Mount Sinai. Now things are different. We've got this new mountain, this Mount Zion. So these passages that we've looked at kind of set us up for something. We see that Luke chapter 5, we saw Peter was called by Jesus and he realized his own sinfulness. We saw in Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah was called by God and he realized that he was unclean and he lived among people who were unclean. And in Hebrews, we see that we as Christians have been called by God and have been called by Jesus to live holy lives, to live lives that... God has asked us to live. Now it comes to us. How will we respond to that call? Will we respond like Simon, who continued on and he, he did follow? He left everything behind and he followed the Lord. Will we respond like Isaiah, who even though the message wasn't going to be a pleasant one, he said, here am I, send me, I'll do it. And he did it. And are we going to be just like what the Hebrew writer says? Are we going to recognize this beautiful assembly that we have been, been a part of, that we can be a part of, this beautiful kingdom that we can receive, that, that we can be a part of here? It won't be shaken. God is the one that's in charge. He's called you. Will you answer that call?